Happy Cinco de Mayo. Today we're covering uh, Cinco de Romans, Cinco de Romanos, uh, ch chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. So uh, let's ask God to, to do a work in our hearts as we read the Word of God. Lord, we thank you for your presence. I pray that you would, um, you would infuse the, this Word and change our hearts through the hearing. Let your spirit flow and, and, and illuminate our hearts that we may see you. Form us in your, in your presence. In your name, amen. Okay. So, you can follow along on the screen. Open your Bibles if you'd like to, to Romans chapter 5. <laughs> For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For no one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So Paul starts off by asking the question, <laughs> who would dare to die? This reminds me of uh, Charles Dickens' book, The Tale of Two Cities. If you're not familiar with it, you may be familiar with the first line. It says, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It's a story about um, the French Revolution, the time leading up to it. And it's, it's got this interesting uh, development where this, this French nobleman, Charles Darnay, uh, comes to England, uh, falls in love with a woman, and he renounces all his wealth and, and his title as Marquis in, in France. And there happens to be another guy who looks just like Charles Darnay, even, even to the point of providing enough reasonable doubt to, to say he, he wasn't a spy. And, and this guy, uh, Sidney Carton, was, he was a, a bad guy. He, he uh, would drink, he, would, he had no morals, he was, he was, he was terrible. But he was, he was also in love with this, this woman, Lucy. And as the story progresses, uh, Charles Darnay goes back to France to, uh, to try and, and do something noble. He winds up getting thrown into, into prison. And at this point, the revolution is happening and all the nobles are being beheaded. All the people that uh, Madame Defarge has, has made a list in her knitting, and everybody on this list in this long scarf that she has knitted has to die, and Charles Darnay is one of those. This is where the most shocking thing that, that Charles Dickens could, could think of comes to play, where this guy, Sidney Carton, who, who 
has led a worthless life. He knows it. Out of love for, for Lucy and her family, switches places with Charles Darnay and goes to the gallows in his stead. Here's a clip of that from a, a really old movie. I can bear it so long as I'm near you. But when I go, will they be quick? They will be. I'm not afraid. The others are only pretending, but you... It's almost as if you welcomed it. Perhaps I do. Perhaps in death I receive something I never had in life. I hold a sanctuary in the hearts of those I care for. Twenty-two! Goodbye. God bless you. and the life, knowing that his uh, courage could be steeled by um, by the uh, hope of resurrection. Now, this was one of the most uh, shocking things that uh, that Dickens could write: that this guy would be willing to to give his life, to exchange his life for a good guy for Charles Darnay, and out of love for, for Lucy and for their family. Now, this, 
story moves us. It has moved people throughout the, the years since it was written. It was, this is one the second most uh, uh, purchased book in the, in the English language, as far as novels go. And it moves us because this sacrifice is a moving thing. And, but think about this. He died for somebody good. He was willing to die out of love for this family. Jesus, at the right time, died for the ungodly. As shocking as, as, as Dickens could write that story, he was trying to portray the sacrifice of Christ, but to make it believable, he couldn't do, he couldn't have Darnay dying for Sidney Carton. We would be like, that's a travesty. This family is now without a father because he chose to die for this guy who wouldn't even appreciate it. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. This is how God shows his love for us. That while we were sinners, while we were enemies, he dies for us. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about the amazing love that God has for you. That he would pursue you, like we were saying in that, in that song we sang earlier. There's no mountain he won't climb up, no shadow he won't light up. He's running after you. And that began before you made any motion to God at all. This is what we call grace. He, at the very beginning, decided that he loved you and was going to do all it takes to bring you to his side. This is God's daring pursuit of you. Paul says, maybe for a righteous person, someone might even dare to die. But God, he dared to die for his enemies. Oh, he loved you so much. Oh, God is, God is love. God is glorious. I think of, of glory. Um, Glory is a thread that Paul has been, has been using the last several weeks as we've talked. There's a couple of kinds of glory that he talks about. Pastor Jacob had mentioned the one is boasting. He often talks about how we have no reason to boast, right? Boasting is building oneself up. So you're glorying in something. We're talking, uh, we're on Cinco de Mayo today, right? General Zaragoza was the, uh, the general who led the army of, of Mexico during the Battle of Puebla, which is what we're commemorating on the Cinco de Mayo. After he won the battle against the French, he sent a, a telegraph to the president saying this, Las armas nacionales se han cubierto de gloria, which means the national arms are covered in glory. This is the kind of glory that builds yourself up. This is the kind of boasting, like Pastor Jacob talked about, where the, the army would boast itself up in, in, in uh, preparation for, for war. They build themselves up. This is the kind of glory that, that Paul is warning against in chapter 1, Paul lists the boastful among the God-haters. 
In chapter 2, Paul calls to task those who boast in the law and think that the law will get them something. Glory in the law. In chapter 3, Paul says, then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what law? By that of works? No, but by the law of faith. He's saying we have no grounds for boasting. It's excluded because faith in what God has done for us in the glory of God is what uh, does something in us. In chapter 4, Paul talks about Abraham's faith. says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So there's this, this thread of what do you glory in? But then there's the other kind of glory. Doxa. It's the Greek word that he uses. Paul calls God the God of glory. You think about this as the, the brightness of God, of his presence. Think about the, the mount of transfiguration where the, the, everything is this, this bright, beautiful light when Jesus meets with, with Moses and Elijah and, and uh, he's transfigured before them. The glory of God. The cloud of day by day and the fire by night. The, the very presence of God displayed in glory. Think about the vision that Isaiah saw in the temple. As the glory filled the temple. And the angels could do nothing but cry, holy, holy, holy. God's glory is the weight and splendor of all that God is. Think about God as creator, as the heavens declare the glory of God. Man, I love, I love looking up in the sky. I just love, like, during the day, you just see miles of, of the atmosphere. It gives you a sense of the perspective. But then at night, <laughs> to see the galaxies... Think about the splendor of God, the glory of God. He's creator, he is majesty. He's king over all of it. And to think that that is the God, the God of glory, who is the lover of your soul. The God who pursues you first. If you have a hunger for his glory, if you have a hunger for something eternal, hunger to see God, it is because you are feeling the tug of that love that God has loved you first. Another thing that um, Paul says in Romans that we've talked about is that all have fallen short of the glory of God. Right? We talk about the, the scale as an image of, of justice, of, of how, um, how our sin stacks up, right? I was thinking about this the other day. I was um, standing across the bar at, at the coffee shop where I work, and there was um, some Pentecostal, uh, um, they Romanian Pentecostals, they get together every Sunday at the shop, and they were talking to another guy who used to be a Pentecostal, who had converted to Islam. And they were talking about uh, this concept 
Because one of the concepts in Islam is that you do good things to outweigh the bad things, right? To try and get the balance. And they were saying, well, your sin just weighs so much. How could you do, ever do enough? And you know, that, I started thinking how unjust that kind of sounds. It's like, we're created in the image of God. We can never do enough stuff to outweigh the bad stuff that we've done. Is our bad stuff really all that so bad that we can never? But you think about this way. Think about falling short of the glory of God. One of the things, the threads that Paul is, is weaving here that we're going to get into in, in coming weeks is that God's, he, he has created us to share in his glory. So you think about the, the scale is where are you at compared to the glory that you were created to have in God? God has made us for so much to share in the very glory of God. So, so Paul goes on, he's, he's, laying this, he's been laying this foundation for, for chapters and chapters, and he's saying, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. He's, he has justified us by his blood. While we were still sinners, while we were weak, he already has justified us. How much more are we going to be saved? You don't have to fear that. You don't have to fear the wrath of God. That, that's not for you. And I think sometimes we, we, we put this question wrong. We think, how much sin can someone do and, and, and be saved? But that's not the that's the, the opposite of the point. Look at the, this God who loved you so much that he, he made grace abound where the sin was abounding. The God who loves you so much has already paid the price. How much more are you going to be saved by it? We can rejoice in that. He goes on. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, brought back into relationship with God, who loves us so much, if we were reconciled by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Ah. Oh. We've been reconciled by his death. How much more is it going to be his life that brings us salvation? Think about that life in Christ. This is a resurrection life, right? God has raised Jesus back to life. We celebrated that just a couple weeks ago, and, and, and Paul has laid the foundation for that, that that. He has raised us to life so this reconciliation can be made possible. How we are saved by that life. Much more are we saved by that life. The resurrection kind of life begins for us now. Think about the life that Jesus lived. We are called to be the apprentices of Jesus. Learning that life, as, as Pastor Jacob pointed out last week, we live by the life that Jesus led. We learn how to live our lives by the way that he lived, the teachings that he gave. He was already living a resurrected, eternal kind of life. 
to begin with. And now that he is raised as the first fruits of, of our resurrection, mm, how much more are we going to be saved? How much more do we get to expect that life? How much more do we walk in that life now? Ah, oh, Jesus. So, so Paul ends saying this. What, what can we, we glory in? We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He uses that word glory once again, and we translate rejoice. We glory in God because he has given us that reconciliation. He has made it possible for us to share in the glory. We rejoice in, in, in God, the hope of glory. Let's take a moment, just close your eyes, but think about those images of God and his glory, resplendent in and, and, and bright light. We rejoice in you, God. We thank you, Jesus. You have made new life for us, and we can live it. we take communion today, I would ask that you um, glory in that. Just let that glory soak in you. The the idea of, of what God has done, just soak in it. Build yourself up in it. When Paul asked the question, what do we glory in? We glory in God. We glory even in our sufferings. We glory in God, the hope of, <laughs> of glory. So here we have a symbols of, of that sacrifice. The body of Christ broken for us. The blood of Christ shed for us. To bring us into that glory, as sharers in that glory. So we partake. Soak it in.